We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. We're going to start looking at kind of the different ingredients that we have, right? We've been talking about how we're in this in-between space with the roster where we don't know what the resolution is going to be with Russ. Uh, both Rob and Jeannie have made comments about how there's still deals on the table, still work that we're going to do. So we don't think that we have the final roster, but we do have a few guys on the team that are very likely to be on the team this year. And today we're going to explore the forward positions a little bit. Yesterday, uh, Jovan Buha had a great article in The Athletic that really laid out the rotation battles and the positional battles. And based on the idea that there are two kind of routes that we can go. There's the AD starting at the four version and the AD starting at the five version. D, before we started recording, you had some pretty definitive thoughts on which path you think the Lakers are going to take. And I agree with you. Where, where do you stand on that? I think AD is going to start at the four. Yeah. Like, I think there's little chance he starts at center. There's a variety of reasons for that. Um, and we could get into those, like, if you want, because I think it, it's part of the discussion that includes Darvin Ham mm-hmm. and, like, where the strength of the roster actually is. And when you start to lay out, quote unquote, who can play and who maybe is, like, more of the, well, you're more of a 10th through 13th sor- sort of guy then I start to think about, okay, well, what does the team actually need and who's going to make it successful? And um, I think Brian and Jones, uh, Thomas Bryant and Damian Jones, they have skill sets and ingredients that need to be a part of the team. And the best way to play three setters, if you consider AD a center, is to have one of them play power forward for at least part of their minutes. And the player who's most qualified to do that is Anthony Davis. And I think that it optimizes AD in specific ways, too. And and so that's just sort of my Cliff Notes version of it all. And I'm right there with you on that. I'd be very surprised if AD started at, at the five this year. And so that has a domino effect on the rest of yep. the roster, the rest of the rotation. If you're starting with that type of look, your starting forwards are taken care of and, and then some between LeBron and AD. And then 
the other two forwards that I see in that three and four spot are Stanley Johnson and Juan Toscano Anderson. Now, I I think there's a good chance that only one of those guys get rotation minutes. And in in Jovan's piece, that was one of the things that he set up was that he thinks there's going to be a positional battle between those two. And I I would tend to agree. And so there we were talking yesterday about how we have at least one too many guards on this team, which kind of implies that we have too few of something uh, on at other spots. And I think the forward position, I think there's an argument to be made that we need a certain type of forward to to come back. Um, I'm curious on your thoughts on just when you look at our overall depth chart beyond the, the superstars that man that first string, that that second string last year, you were very quick to identify like we need that forward. Right. We're missing yeah. that from this roster before we played a single game. You identified that very correctly. That guy that can slot between LeBron and AD. I have a type of guy that I think we need as well. But I also think that this shift to. AD at the four means that we have fewer wing needs than than other teams do. So I'm just curious kind of where you land on that. What, what are our forward needs right now? It's interesting to me because Toscano Anderson and Stanley Johnson could sort of be looked at as similar players. <laughs> like, th- like Toscano Anderson, we've only seen, we've seen so little of him, I think, as a pro, right? Like he played with the Warriors. Um, he had a real role and then last not this past season, the championship season, but the season before when they were not as good. And Toscano Anderson, I feel like, carved out a niche as a role player in contrast to Kelly Oubre, right? And so Kelly Oubre is like the dynamic athlete who does not have a lot of feel, but was sort of a go-get-it sort of player, right? He pops on screen by doing things very loudly. His successes were loud and his failures were loud too, right? And Toscano Anderson looked much more like a Warriors type of player, right? And so played with some feel, could screen, play in the short role a little bit, hustle sort of guy. And Stanley fills a very similar role to me. And so when I look at the forward needs, I would still like a guy, the same type of guy I was looking at sort of last year, which was, I think, the closest idealized version of that player was like a bubble version of Markeith Morris, right? Which is a guy who can slot between LeBron and AD. Still, I've been preaching this for a long, long time. Can shoot the three, has some defensive versatility, one of those uh, responsible adult types defensively that, that you've talked a lot about, Pete. And I still think there's a need for one of those types of dudes. Thomas Bryant does a lot of that stuff offensively, but I'm not sure he has the foot speed and the switchability defensively Mm -hmm. to do that sort of thing. And so I'm still looking for a guy who can potentially defend some wings, but slot up if he needs to slot up and is comfortable playing above the three-point arc um, and has a bit more size, right? And, And so those guys are hard to find. And so there's a reason why I feel like I always want one. It's because every team always wants one. Even if you've got two or three, you could always use one more. And so I'm still sort of pining for that sort of player. But maybe you have your eyes on a different archetype. So slightly, yes. I I think we need a, a skill forward. 
when I think of all of the guys that left from the championship team, I think the guy we've had the toughest time replacing is Kyle Kuzma. Yeah. I think that having another forward that can put the ball in the basket while being okay defensively at the very least, especially when you have JTA and Stanley as I, I think they're ideally your fourth and fifth forwards rather than your third and fourth forwards. And having another guy who if you have Stanley and JTA already, neither guy is really a skill player from the respect of like, hey, go get us a bucket. And I think that having a forward who can do that in that mix is super helpful. So I think that like a shooter scorer type that maybe is like average defensively, ideally, and this would have to come in trade, right? We're talking about a guy who's 6'6 to 6'9, ideally, yeah. who can is skilled as an offensive player who's not going to kill you defensively. I'm not talking about a vet men type of guy, right? But I, when I look at the overall construct of kind of our our forward spots, that's the the thing that's really missing to me. Even I think more so than a Keith type, although he kind of fits that too because he's got more offensive touch. But I think that skill scorer type guy that just doesn't kill you uh, in that respect. I think we've really missed that. No, Kuz is, and that's the thing, man. Is like, and we were talking a little bit about this before we started to record, but. This is the difficulty of if there's any difficulty in building a team around LeBron James and Anthony Davis as your two superstar elite sort of top five or six players in the league duo. It's that they are your front court. They are three, four, five guys. Right. Mm -hmm. And so LeBron typically starts at the three but plays a fair amount of four. AD will typically start at the four but plays a lot of five. And so that's a lot. And those guys are going to play 30 plus minutes a night. And so if you're looking at 70 minutes of a 130 minute rotation, right, of three, four and five, it's just like, OK, well, we already got half of our minutes at mm-hmm. these spots. And now if you have two other centers on the roster, it's just like, OK, well, those dudes are going to play. And so that was in bringing it back to your conversation about coups. That was always the thing with Kuz. It was like, man, he's hungry. He's hungry for a bigger role. He's probably capable of a bigger role, but he's never really going to get that on a team with LeBron James and and Anthony Davis. And that's the tricky part, Pete, is like, you're like, hey, this dude's not a vet minimum guy. In fact, around the league, a player with the skill set that you're describing probably makes in between 13 and 20 million dollars. Mm-hmm. How do you allocate those resources on a team that's paying LeBron James and Anthony Davis both like 35% of the salary cap? And it's a team building question as much as anything else and an allocation of resources question to me because I value that position the same way that you do. It's just hard to get it on this sort of team. It is, but you do need a closing guy, right? Like that yeah. Thomas Bryant or Damian Jones they're probably getting that JaVale shift to start the first quarter and the third quarter. And then whoever doesn't win that spot probably gets the Dwight shift to start the second quarter and fourth quarter, right? These are very specific parts of the game where you're, you're big fives. Now we have a new coach, right? This Darvin Ham may have different ways of looking at this, but if we look at Milwaukee as kind of a clue to that, he's likely to follow a similar type of rotation. But what I'm really looking for is that guy who can play the last five minutes of the second quarter, the last five minutes of a close game. That's probably not going to be Bryant. That's probably not going to be Jones. So let's take a quick break, come back and, and talk about the forward spot from that perspective. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So this mythical forward that we're talking about, right, or is... That's the guy that slots in at the end of the game to me. Yeah. At least on a lot of 70% of the games. He wouldn't close every game. Yeah. He could viably be a, this is our best five. Yes. And he's in that ideally as a guy who can knock down some shots off of the creation of LeBron and AD while LeBron and AD are at that four and five spot and can like credibly hold their own defensively at at, at the three spot or, or the four spot. And so that to me is a more valuable player than even a starting center, right? Like we've got that covered and those are kind of like, they're not part of your best five, but they're in your starting five. And so that type of forward, when I look at JTA and Stanley, and we're going to get into both of their games a little more specifically in in these two segments, like there's going to be some nights where I see JTA in particular is like, yeah, he'd be really helpful as that, uh, that D and three type of guy, yeah. right off of LeBron and AD. Yeah. I could see him closing quite a bit. And when Jovan presented his argument, he was starting in the 80 at the five version of the lineup, which I think is totally on track with, with how games would be closed. That said, I'm not sure he's up to that right on. Uh, and so you've watched a lot more JTA that, than I have. I've been watching tape of him uh, since we signed him, but you you saw him on a, on a day-to-day basis. I, I'd love to hear your broader JTA thoughts. You know, I think he's a, I think he's a good, but not great player. I think there's a reason why he fell out of the rotation this past season and ultimately was a bystander in the Warriors run to the finals. Could he have stolen a shift or two i think he could have right and the warriors were particularly adept at managing um their rotation with the guys that they had right and so jt is not going to play over clay thompson he's not going to play over draymond green right looney was such a good good player and and now suddenly there's like few front court minutes especially when pool was such a good player, right? Mm-hmm. And Poole and started Wiggins to make a lead, the mix and, and then Wiggins, right? And so it's just like, okay, Porter, well, there's, yeah. there's really no spot for him. I'm worried that he's, and I had these same concerns about Bazemore when Bazemore was coming in, is that I'm worried about how you function offensively when you rarely touch the ball. Mm-hmm. 
very different system too. If you're not like playing with Steph is just, you're playing a different type of offense. Nobody has that type of gravity that kind of opens things up. And so without that, what does that look like? Yeah. Well also too, like when you talk about the Warriors and their system, there's so much player movement and that's in stark contrast to almost the entirety of the rest of the league. Everywhere else, man, guys just stand still a lot. There's maybe a wing exchange, right? Mm -hmm. There's maybe a flare screen or two, but, and that's what the Lakers have typically done. Right. Mm -hmm. And LeBron teams in general have been like that too. Well, even AD teams, right? Because guys who, guys who do a fair amount of work out of the post, you need to, you need to organize their reads in in a way and if there's way too much going on while a guy is trying to like back up in and and there's so much going on around them and maybe they have their entire back to the opposite side of the court where those guys can't be moving around too much you sort of need to know where they're going to be it's to me it's similar to like when a quarterback is going to do a play action pass right it's just like they turn their back to everything and they're faking that handoff and then when they turn their head back around they already have a picture in their mind about where the players are going to be and then they're mm-hmm. and then they're reading the defense once they get that look right that's what a post player is basically doing like, hey, I know my guy is in the corner. I know this other guy is slotted above the break right around the hash mark. All I'm reading is where those weak side defenders are once I once I take my look. Right. And LeBron is genius at this. And so yes. is a guy like Jokic and the excellent post passers are. And so when in getting back to JTA, I wonder how he's going to adapt to playing off the ball, but in a system where he's just like not doing as much and where he's going to be asked to hit spot up threes, right? Because he's going to have value as a cutter. He's going to have value as a screener. I wonder what his value is going to be as a spot up guy, because we've seen Pete, if you're not hitting the outside shot at a viable rate, defenses are just like, thank you. Yeah, if my choice is between like putting more attention on LeBron or AD or leaving Juan Toscano Anderson a little more open on a three, I know exactly what choice I'm making if I'm the other coach. That's right. And and so it's going to be up to like Darvin Ham and the coaching staff at large to create and build in actions to the half court, especially to sort of optimize the things that a player like JTA or Stanley Johnson does well, right? And so the thing I was happy about with Stanley Johnson last year, for example, is as the season wore on, he seemed confident and comfortable taking the spot up three, right? And that's the first part of it all. If you are consistently turning that shot down, it's like one of the things that we were sort of upset at uh, Austin Reeves about last year. So it's like, no, yeah, bro, like, ball, like you got to shoot that ball, right? Just yeah. shoot it. Just let it fly. And Stanley was one of those guys. So that's going to be a key part for JTA too. It's just like, look, man, it's one thing to turn those shots down when you're waiting to do another handoff with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, right? Or Jordan Poole even, or you're going to set another flare screen. Like you're sort of that in-between guy. But those players typically next to LeBron, they have to be finishers. LeBron's kicking that ball out because he sees two or he sees that you're open. And it's just like, you got to let that ball fly. And that's where I'm like, are you going to be on it 
enough with him. And I don't know if we've seen enough in his history because of the style of system that he played in to have a very good read on how he's going to respond in that sort of environment. I think that's a huge factor. And I, if we acquire a shooter, like a legit shooter that, you know, defenses are like, hey, we got to we got to get out to him. I think that makes JTA's offensive value go way up, because I do think that in a on a team that has LeBron and AD, we saw this last year. There is going to be a certain amount of we have to protect the rim. That's going to be the mentality of the defense way more than you're ever going to have with a Steph Curry and Clay Thompson type of team. So like the area of the floor that a defense is worried about is just fundamentally a different spot. It's the opposite thing. And so having a guy that has some perimeter gravity, I think would be a huge benefit to a guy like JTA offensively. Um, I also think that he has uh, a great deal of potential as a short role type of guy. Me too. Right. Where if he is in those closing lineups alongside LeBron and AD, oftentimes maybe he'll be the screen setter for LeBron if they're trapping LeBron. And then he, because he's got a little bit of feel as a playmaker. Stanley's this way too. And we'll talk about Stanley in the last segment, but that ability to, to cut and, but handle the ball and make the correct pass. If they don't pick you up, attack the basket and finish, right? I, that kind of like micro ball five, I, I like JTA quite a bit in that respect. And then defensively, I think he's a great fit for us in large part because he's a good ball pressure guy and we don't have a lot of that. And so I, I view ball pressure guys very much as like a pass rush yep. in, in the NFL. And so having a guy at his size, he's strong and that can – active high hands that's you know moving his feet plays hard you know that's that's one thing about him like you never got to worry about his effort level or anything like that I I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts both on the offensive role and then just defensively I'm really excited about him I I think that he can provide a lot no I think defensively it's where almost the entirety of his value is going to be and it's how if he does carve out a meaningful role within the rotation that's going to be why right like I think his ability to guard two to three positions, particularly three positions, if the other team goes small and he can scale Mm -hmm. up some, depending on what the power forward looks like for the other team, then there's going to be a lot of potential for him to be disruptive and to help galvanize the transition game that the Lakers really want to use as a key part of their offensive success, right? And... JTA, I remember there was a gay man and like he was talking about like, man, like I almost died basically because he like dove over the announcer's table and Mm -hmm. he like went into the stands and he took a pretty bad tumble where it's just like if things could have gone really bad for him. And he's just like, look, man, like I don't I don't care about any of that. I'm out there to make the play. I'm going to go as hard as I can, as as often as required that's my role and i don't see that changing anytime right he knows he knows how he made it to the league and he knows what's made him stick thus far and that idea of being able to like just get up into a guy and defend him and make that player uncomfortable that's the thing that the lakers lacked last season and very much so and i and then he can get out and run with with everyone too and and he can finish in transition Mm -hmm. and he's and just like you said offensively he has enough feel i think in the half court to be that connective type of player which really does have value next to lebron and ad because as you've talked about a ton on the pod 
the advantage extender is super important when you have a guy when you have a guy like LeBron and a guy like AD who are always con- who are always creating advantage, right? So let's go to break here though, because I see Stanley in a similar way to JTA, and I'll be interested to see if both can play. So Pete, we got a good look at Stanley last season. Um, I was beyond everything he did on the court. I was impressed with his off the court stuff, like Mm -hmm. his, just his mentality, his approach. I loved his sound bites, the quotes, like the, just the mentality he brought to the team. Those were all things that I valued and Mm -hmm. I appreciated about him, but you don't get to the playoffs and be a rotation player based off of like, I don't know, self-awareness, right? And, and, <laughs> sure. and great quotes. And, and so where do you see Stanley slotting in to a team that needs a six, seven dudes who can handle mm-hmm. the ball some and can shoot the ball a little bit and can finish in the short roll area and are just sort of good, hard playing teammates like, hey, can always use another mm-hmm. one of those guys. But it's tricky because his skill set isn't exactly as refined as you'd want, as I'd want it to be, mm-hmm. but, but the Lakers need him anyway. So talk to me about Stanley. Yeah. So in, I think it was yesterday's pod, Mike brought up the Alex Crusoe game against the Clippers at the end of the 2019 season, uh, where we had signed LeBron, but we were out of the playoff picture and just kind of playing out the string over the last month or so. And those are tough games to evaluate players, right? Because they're not particularly serious games at that type, time of the season. Uh, again, teams are playing out the string. But I remember distinctly the conversations that you and I would have when we were doing this once or twice a week, where it was like, like I know these games are BS, but I think Alex Cruz is an NBA player and like not like a third string. I think he might be like competing for a backup position next year. And Again, I know these games are not the most serious games, but what I'm seeing on on tape from this guy is really like really shows an NBA player in there. I I felt similarly about Stanley Johnson watching the games from last season, which again were had a similar level of intensity as those playing out, out the string games. And part of that is because and and now mind you, you go to this place where it's like, well, Stanley Johnson's been in the league. He was drafted eighth. He's had multiple chances. If he were capable, it would have happened by now. And my argument toward that is that he's playing a different position. He's playing a different role than he's ever been asked to before. And I think that what it comes down to is that in-between game, that advantage extension that you're talking about offensively is where a lot of his on-ball skills, being that guy that's always had the ball in his hands and a star coming up, when LeBron's already created the advantage and now it's Stanley in a four-on-three, he can hit he can hit floaters with either hand. He can get all the way to the basket. He can find the open man. It's the creating the advantage in the first place part that he wasn't good at that kind of and he wasn't a three and D stationary just knock down the shot type of guy either, right? And so it was like, where does this guy fit in the league? I think that we're one of the teams that he really fits in on. And I think he brings a little more to the table offensively than a guy like JTA does as a function of his history and whatnot. And then defensively, he showed some on ball ability where you're talking about that six seven guy with long arms and defensive capability like he has a degree of switchiness a degree of defensive versatility where 
again, I, I know he's a guy that's been in the league for a few years uh, and and that people probably already have their minds made up on to a certain extent, but I'm buying all the Stanley Johnson stock as a role player. That said, I don't know if him and JTA can play at the same time, right? They kind of have overlap in that same yeah. sort of role. And so I think the way Jovan framed it, right, is like a Stanley versus JTA for minutes, I think is probably accurate. So I'd be curious if, if we could see some lineups with both of them, but I lean toward no. Yeah, this is where Darvin Ham is going to need to make decisions on. You have two sort of combo forward types in mm-hmm. Stanley and JTA and you've got two non-LeBron AD bigs in Thomas Bryant and Damian Jones can all six of those players play when you add LeBron and AD to the mix and it does feel unlikely Mm -hmm. it just does the the availability is more at that like two three swing forward yep. guard type of spot where Troy Brown is probably your competition there. Yeah, Troy Brown and Lonnie Walker. Lonnie Walker, mm-hmm. right? And then Austin Reeves, and then sure. Taylor Horton Tucker, right? And so the what's interesting about the Lakers' depth is I think that they've accumulated depth. It's the quality of that depth that is yet to be revealed, right? Mm-hmm. Because last year's team, we thought that team had depth too, and guess what? They did. They were just deep with guys who ended up not being able to play to the level in which they were forecasted to play before the season started, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least by the people who signed them. Others may have told you beforehand that those guys maybe weren't going to be able to play, but enough rehashing of the past. So when I think about Stanley and I think about JTA, they are sort of Spider-Man memeing. Right. They're pointing at each other like, hey, it's you like, no, it's actually me. And finding lineups where where they play together is, I mean, probably not like mm-hmm. although if you had a high level skill guard. Right. That kind of accounts for it. Uh, it's so funny, like all of our conversations end up going back to like, well, what ends up happening on the trade market? Yes, because right? it, it definitely slots guys into the right spots. And also too, like, how do their skill levels and how does their performance round, round out, right? And, and so a guy that I know that you like that was on the free agent market and was a potential target for the taxpayer MLE ended up signing with the Denver Nuggets, right? Formanette, mm-hmm. Bruce Brown. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of the stuff that we've described about Stanley Johnson and Juan Toscano Anderson, like pressure defense and playing in the short role, Mm -hmm. making decisions as a screener, hitting floaters every now and then being able to get to the basket. That's exactly what Bruce Brown has done. Except what Bruce Brown did last year for the Nets is he at 40% of his three point shots, right? Right. Now, Bruce Brown for his career is a 32.7% three-point shooter. His first year in Detroit, he hit 26% of his threes. And then the season before last in Brooklyn, he hit 28% of his threes or 29% of his threes. And last year, he hit 40% of his threes. That's a different player. The guy who hits 40%, Mm -hmm. right? That's a different dude. And during the playoffs, when Bruce Brown shot, I was just like, hey, look at that. Mm-hmm. These shots feel like they're going in almost every single time, right? And so if either of those forwards 
that we talked about, Stanley Johnson or Juan Toscano Anderson, can hit 38% of their threes, especially the types of threes that they're going to get, which are open threes. Stationary, feet set. Yeah, yeah. I'm just standing there. No one is closing out to me. Those sort of threes. If those go in at a, at a high rate, well, guess what? You put a skill guard there who can run pick and roll with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, right? As both a screener and as a ball handler. And then you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. This is like, okay, those other two guys, what do you need from those two guys, Pete? Just in terms of skill set. Offensively spot up shooting, um, the ability to cut, but really just understanding spacing, be able to attack a closeout, right? Uh, be able to operate in that mid mid range, not as a shooter, but as a decision maker, right? Like that shot fake attack type of thing. But it's all of those secondary advantage extension and finish the play. They're the guard, LeBron and AD are gonna take care of the first part. That's right. And so I look back to the team that won the championship, and their Best lineups, almost all included Alex Caruso. Right Mm -hmm. now, I don't want to compare JTA and Stanley Johnson to Alex Caruso, but that is the idealized role for a guy who is going to be a fourth or fifth player in a lineup Mm -hmm. with LeBron James and Anthony Davis really cooking. And that's what we're really talking about here is when we project out what the best version of the Lakers are going to be, it's, it's based off of the best versions of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. None right? of it matters without that, right? And in some ways, it's been frustrating to do a five-day-a-week podcast on a theoretical team that barely ever takes the court because we haven't had that in terms of injury, uh, injuries and all of that, right? Like, they played three straight games together once last year, right? And so none of it matters unless it's both of those guys. So thank you for that clarification. Yeah, and so... This is a a lot of this is going to come down to like, okay, man, Stanley, like how much are you shooting in the gym this season? How comfortable are you hitting the three? Can you jump up from a 32, you know, 31, 32 percent three point shooter to a 38 percent three point shooter? 35, man, is like I know it's and and Mike, Mike, I I can hear Mike's voice saying like that's like five shots over the course of the season. Yeah, right? that's three That's three more made threes for a guy who takes 1.2 or 1.3 threes a game, right? Which is what mm-hmm. Bruce Brown did last season, right? Mm-hmm. So Bruce Brown shot 40% on three on 1.3 attempts a game, right? That's right. different so than no shooting 40% on three on seven attempts a game, like a Seth Curry, right? Right. Or a Buddy Heald or any of these other dudes that are just like, oh, this dude's a knockdown three-point shooter. And so... Plenty of ways to skin a cat in sort of closing out this conversation. I would love it if you didn't have to rely on either Stanley Johnson or GTA. I would love it if that Kyle Kuzma type of player existed. It's one of the reasons why, honestly, a player like Gordon Hayward was even discussed within the context of being a trade target for Russell Westbrook. It's because Gordon Hayward is the exact sort of forward that you're describing. He is a ball hand. He's probably overqualified for that role on this team, but a ball handling shooting forward who can make plays for teammates and can survive or sometimes even thrive defensively based off of who his, his matchup is. That dude is extremely valuable. The problem is, is that he's always going to be a notch below on a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And that is the 
interesting thing about slotting mm-hmm. when you have this sort sort of team. And so Stanley and JTA are the exact sort of like salary slot sort of guys. You'd love to see be able to fill that role. The question is, is will they be good enough? And I have my questions about that. Yeah, I think they're more your fourth and fifth forwards, ideally, but they both play hard. They play defense. They fill a similar spot. And I think that if we go to that bigger lineup with AD at the four, that I, I agree that they're probably going to be competing with each other for, for some minutes. Um, should be interesting. Uh, we're going to continue, uh, kind of reviewing the pieces that, that we have right now, get into uh, another one of the new guys tomorrow. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Eck to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with his eighth block shot. The NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Brian, 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 that insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.